All right, repeat after me. Blessed are the meek. For what? They shall inherit the earth. How many of you would like to inherit the earth? Anybody? Uh, yeah, the current one. With everything that goes with it. Now, I'll admit, there are parts of the earth I would love to inherit. There are a, one, a number of just beautiful and awesome things. Uh, you know, maybe Niagara Falls, that'd be pretty good. Uh, maybe the Grand Canyon, maybe the ocean, at least the clean parts of the ocean, maybe not the polluted rivers. Certainly there are some people on the earth I don't want at all, but there are some that are pretty good too, right? A lot of riches that you could find, but the whole earth the way it is, eh, maybe not so much. Now, Dana talked a little bit about uh, the meek. They are humble, but yet so often as, as people of God, we don't really quite comprehend what it means to be meek, nor what it means as our inheritance. So we're going to kind of go through this a little bit. I'm going to tell you a little story. How many of you have been to a sporting event that had to be delayed or stopped because of an animal that got loose on the field? Has that ever happened? Maybe a stray cat, they're kind of hard to catch, a squirrel, right? Squirrel, that'd be difficult to catch one of those. How many of you remember, maybe you have to be a little older like me, remember Randy Johnson, pitcher, Arizona Diamondbacks, remember that? Now he throws very hard, 97, 98, 99 miles an hour. There were a bunch of seagulls there on that field, right in the middle of a pitch. I mean, what are the odds? What are the chances of this happening? But it hit that bird, it just went splat. And truly, it was dead. They had to stop the game and, you know, get the carcass off of there. Well, one time, Kansas City Royals, my hometown team, there was a dog. The dog got on the field, a stray dog. How this happens, I do not know. But it's running around all over, and everyone's trying to catch it. Now, the umpires are way too slow, so it's ground screw. They can't catch it. Then the players, they, they start yelling. One says, come over here. Another says, go over there. They started calling it names. You idiot dog, get out of here. You think that helped? No. Finally, the poor, confused dog just sat down on third base. And that was it. Stop the game. Later on, there was a sports writer said that the problem was this. The dog had no dominant voice. To listen to. So that's the question for today. Whose voice are you listening to? Now I'm going to make the assumption this morning that, that most of you, if not all of you this morning, are, are Christians, those watching at home as well, that you are Christians and that you love the Lord, right? So if you aren't a Christian and if you don't love the Lord, uh, please forgive me, but this is meant for you. Whose voice? are you listening to? Is it your own voice? Does it always steer you in the right direction? How about the world? Is that a great voice to listen to? Well, I've got some examples up there of what the world, and I think these are pretty good representations of what the world thinks about you, people of God. For example, Ted Turner, anybody remember him? He's still alive in his 80s. We could do the alive or dead game. Still alive. Founder of CNN, WTBS, media mogul. Did you know that at one time Ted Turner was the single largest landowner, 
private landowner in America. Did you know that? Yeah, very, very rich guy. And I think, I don't know if he invented it, but he made the bison burger popular. He had lots of bison on, it, on his land. So what did Ted say? This very ultra-successful, very prominent individual about believers. Christianity is for, can you say it? Say it loud and proud. Losers. So point to the person next to you and say, you're a loser. Right? You're a loser, at least according to the world, at least according to Ted Turner. He was just parroting what he had heard really about a century earlier. Karl Marx said this, religion, and especially Christianity, he said, is the opiate of the masses. In other words, this world is so painful, the only way that you can actually get through it is if you're on drugs. And that's what Christianity is. It, it numbs the pain. It makes you oblivious to everything that is going around you. I would suggest to you that not a lot has changed in these last couple of centuries. Still, many, if not most, unbelievers believe that Christianity is a crutch. You weak-minded losers. You can't get along in life without it. You can't achieve on your own. You can't accomplish anything. When life gets painful, you can't handle it. And so you need a crutch. For example, I was at uh, a discipleship conference uh, a week ago in Memphis at my brother's church. He had a speaker there. His name is Pastor Greg Burrs. You can look him up on the Internet. He has a church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Now, he has a practice. Many times during the week, especially on Saturdays, he'll go to his local coffee shop, Starbucks or whatever it is, and he hangs out, and he talks to people. And he always brings his Bible. Now, certainly he brings it so he can read it and study it, but it's a great conversation piece. Have you tried this? Take your Bible to a restaurant. Go there every Friday or Saturday, whatever it is. Have it there. Read it. You become a regular. People are going to ask you, what you doing? What's that? So he uses this to begin conversations about faith. So there was this one individual, very professional-looking successful-looking, young, handsome, turns out to be a doctor. He's a surgeon. And after a while, he finds out that he is not a believer. He's an atheist. He has no belief in God whatsoever. He has no belief in the afterlife. No heaven, no hell. This is it. This is all you get, so make the most of it. And finally came to the conclusion as well, Christianity is only... A crutch. If you have to believe in a God who would die on a cross for you so that you could live forever, well, you are just a loser. That's the belief. That's the voice of the world. Now, speaking of doctors, my wife and I, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, but uh, Sharon and I, we are binge-watching ER. Anybody watch ER? You remember ER? Right? Great show. Love, you know, Dr. Green, Dr. Carter, Nurse Hathaway. Whatever George Clooney's character is, I mean, it's George Clooney. I don't care what the name is, right? It's where he got started. Well, in one recent episode, I don't know, we're in season eight or nine, something like that. Dr. Kovac is from Croatia. Backstory. Wife. Children. They were killed. Killed in the war with the Serbians. A lot of scars from that. Now, he, 
he grew up and he married his wife, who was very religious, a Christian. He wasn't so much, but he'd go to church with her. They got married in the church. They raised their kids in the church. Now fast forward, he's in America, he's in Chicago, county hospital, and a Catholic priest becomes a patient. And of course, they begin to talk about faith. And Dr. Kobach comes to this conclusion. Because of what had happened to him, there's no God. There's no Jesus. There's no eternity. And when confronted, he says this, give me a break. Christianity is for women. Because you can't handle it on your own. Is that the voice to which you listen? You know, as we go through these Beatitudes, we're on week three. What have we gone through so far? Blessed are the poor in spirit. We clarified that. It's not material. But the world would say that's even worse. That's even weaker, that you have to empty yourself of everything and humble yourself before God. Last week, blessed are those who what? Mourn, grieving, loss. This week, blessed are the meek. Uh, you'll really love blessed are the persecuted, right? Those who have been falsely accused, insulted because of Jesus. As we go through all of this, doesn't it really seem, I mean, that faith, doesn't it, seems to be for weak people? Even Paul, in his writing to the church at Corinth, what does he say today? He says, God chose the foolish things of the world. That means you, by the way. <laughs> the shame, the wise. God chose the weak things. Again, that would include you. The shame strong. So even God's word seems to be a little discouraging. But what does it really mean to be meek and what is it that God promises that will be ours? Well, I want to take a look at a litany of people this morning and we'll get to them in just a moment. But let's continue with this. I would suggest that some of the strongest people, at least that I've known, and I would suggest that even that have ever lived some of the strongest people, and you can identify with this, you know these people, they're Christian. They're people of faith. They are people who listen to the voice of God. You see, Jesus was, was not calling people to be spineless wonders. That's not what it means to be weak. In fact, most of the time, those who are meek, those who listen to the voice of God, stand up for what's right, for what's righteous, for what's good. Who is it often that is the very first ones? Whenever there is a catastrophe, you are. God's people are Christian. When there's a hurricane or a storm or a tragedy, we have an organization right here based in Chicago, Lutheran Church. There it is. They're right there. They bring people comfort. They bring people resources. And you're right there with them, aren't you? Jesus is calling for a strength, not from ourselves, but one that exceeds what we could ever do or what the world could ever do. 
It's his own strength. It's emptying oneself and following the will of God rather than our own. You see, finally, being meek simply means this. Standing up to others and what is wrong. Standing up for what is good. Standing up for what is right because God is in us. So I'm going to give you some examples. How many of you have heard of Gladys Aylward? Anybody? Raise your hand, Gladys. There's one. That's, you're the only one today. Good for you. Gladys Aylward. Most of us have never heard of her, and yet she was a person of great conviction, small stature. She was about four foot seven. 100 pounds. Grew up in England in the 30s, 1930s. Went to something called Young Life. It's still in existence today. Was convicted. Wanted to be a missionary in China. I understand it's really, really difficult to learn Mandarin. I don't know. I haven't ever tried. But yet she did. She became a friend of the people. Her compassion, her love, her courage endeared her to people. She spent years, the rest of her life, there in China ministering to people who had really hardly anything at all. She got to be such a legend that when the local prison, now prison, think prison, when there was a riot there, they called on Gladys. Now think about that. I mean, it's one thing we go up to Woodstock and we minister to some of the prisoners there at the county jail, go up to a Bible study every now and then. She literally lived with these inmates. Let's make, take it a step further. Let's go to the federal prison. Federal in Joliet, state prison, bad place. I know that. Don't want to be there. That is the kind of place where she was. So when the riot began, the warden, he calls Gladys. And he says to her, Gladys, I want you to go in there, and I want you to, to disarm all of these murderous men who are trying to kill each other. In fact, there's a whole bunch of them that have already been killed. I want you to make them stand down. I want you to disarm all of them. Now, comprehend that. She says, okay, warden, uh, I'm, I'm this tall and I weigh about 100 pounds. I have no weapons whatsoever and you want me to go in there and disarm all of these men who are trying to kill each other. She says, yep, that's right. And he believed that she could do it because he said, you have the spirit of God in you. So as she enters the courtyard, there are literally bodies strewn all over, blood running around there, and she sees a man who is chasing after another with a machete, literally wanting to cut off his head. And so she goes up to him and she says, I command you to drop your weapon. And lo and behold, he did. And all of them stood down because they trusted and they loved this woman who cared so much about them. She then brought all kinds of reforms to the prison. She taught Bible study. She preached the gospel. And many became followers of Jesus. We know Mother Teresa, similar stature, huge heart, had the courage, the meekness, trusting in God, not herself, to minister to those who had diseases, that would literally kill you. Being there in the filth and the squalor, 
giving up all that she had, trusting in the strength of the Lord. We know those from the Bible. Moses. What was Moses' malady? Does anybody remember from Sunday school? He stuttered. And yet God called him to be the spokesman for him to his people. Now, we may forget, sometimes Moses was a prince of Egypt. Remember that? Adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. He had all the privileges. He was in the royal household. Immense wealth and riches and privilege. And yet he gave it all up to become a shepherd. And then God's servant to lead his people out of slavery and oppression to the promised land. How about Abraham? A man of great faith, Hebrews 11 tells us. But do you remember the encounter with Lot, his nephew? Do you remember that? Abraham has all kinds of flocks in herd, and he needs more land in order for all of them to graze. Lot, his nephew, comes to him and he says, Unc, you know what? I need some more land. You've got all this great land. Let me have that. Now, Abraham is older, wiser, wealthier, deserves the better land, but he very graciously says, sure, go ahead and take it. I'll take the worse, I'll take the inferior, and yet what did God do? He blessed him even more. Yes, with wealth and riches. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. So much more. So much more. The things that money cannot buy. And the things that are going to perish when this earth perishes as well. We could talk about Paul. We know Jesus, of course who gave up his throne in heaven to be born in a filthy stable. He humbled himself to become one of us, to live among sinful people, so sinful that his own people had him crucified. He suffered their insults, their taunts. The Roman soldiers spit on him. He had nails driven through his hands and feet, a crown of thorns jammed on his head. Not just to cause him pain, but in mockery. Hey, you're the king of the Jews. You need a crown. And he finally died. For you and me. He humbled himself. He gave up his spirit so that you and I could have those things that money can never buy, that the world can never offer. Not another rung on the ladder, another, not another step of success, but forgiveness in hope for a better future. A new life, the abundant life, which is a relationship with God and his people. And an opportunity to use those gifts that we talked about earlier, to use those gifts not just for ourselves, but to build a better kingdom that includes all of those who are poor in spirit, who recognize that everything good comes from the Lord. One such man who gets it is a man named Dennis Rogers. Anybody ever hear of him? Look him up. Google him. Dennis Rogers, once known as the strongest man on earth. 
You wouldn't know it by looking at him. He's 67, weighs 161 pounds. At least that's what his website says. About the same as he's been since he was about 19 years old. Now his story is that he was a weakling. When he was 13 years old, he was four foot seven. Even smaller than Gladys. And he weighed 79 pounds. Now what happens when you're 13 and you're four foot seven and you weigh 79 pounds? First day in high school is not going to be pretty, is it? And so it was, and he had a hard time making friends because his, his dad was in the military and they, they traveled all over the place and then he'd get to a new school and here he was, this little shrimp of a guy. So he decided that he would start lifting weights. So by the time that he was 15, so two years later, he's been lifting now for two years, he can lift over his head 145 pounds, which is pretty good because I can't do that. 145 pounds, but he did it with one arm. By his junior year, he entered an arm wrestling contest. He beat every single person in his school. He was so good that the next year he won the state championship. Then he won 10 more. Then he won two national championships. Then he won the world championship in the open division so 200 pound guys 300 pound guys he beat them all he was so strong that one day they decided that he would hold on to a chain in each hand which was connected to now get this connected to a navy jet fighter an airplane one on each side and he was so strong that he prevented those airplanes from taking off they did it with Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Couldn't move. He was so strong. He would take a half-inch steel rod and he would bend it into a U. He would take a crescent wrench and bend it into a pretzel. He would literally drive nails with his bare hand. Pound for pound. Strongest man in the world. And yet if you asked him what was his greatest, accomplishment. He would unequivocally say it was a realization that Jesus is the Lord of my life and I am dependent on him for everything. Whose voice are you listening to? Who's the dominant voice in your life? Is it the world? Accomplish this, accomplish that. If you don't have certain things, you have no value, you have no worth. Climb up the ladder of success or your own voice. Where you're only measured by what you accomplish. Where you prove your strength by trampling over those who are weak. Where you're listening to your own will. And that becomes the most important thing, even your God. Remember the dog that was running from here and running over there, confused because of all the different voices, and finally just sat down on third base and gave up altogether because it didn't know what to do. Or maybe... We're listening to the voice of God who has a greater plan, a better opportunity, an option that the world would reject 
where the world would say, you're, you're a loser, you're a wimp, rely on your own strength. But God says this, and we'll end with this. Blessed are those who hear the voice of God and rely on his strength and not their own, for they will receive the most important things, those things that cannot be bought. Forgiveness of sins, new life, hope, salvation, a relationship with the Lord for all of eternity. Blessed are those who hear the voice of God and use God's gifts and his strength to make an impact on the world. And all those who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior, as you already do. Amen? Amen. This morning we have the opportunity to hear from one of our young people who in place of our profession of faith,